welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger, and we're reading in Doctrine and Covenants section 137 and 138. Officially the last two sections of DNC. And it's crazy that we're even here. And I think next week we will read like an appendix or something. Anyway, so you guys did awesome throughout this whole year we have read the doctrine and covenants i can't even believe it and we recorded our thoughts and feelings and you were listening to thoughts and feelings and my mom and terry and just awesome so so proud of you for sticking with it throughout the entire year you should go celebrate <laughs> for real though um okay so some historical background says this revelation contains Joseph's vision of the celestial kingdom at the Kirtland Temple in 1836, eight and a half years before he died. Um, that's just wild to think, you know. Um, and then on January 21st, 1836, Father Smith, the patriarch of the family, blessed his son Joseph and Joseph beheld a vision wherein he saw the future celestial kingdom. Um... And among others he saw, there was his older and well-beloved brother, Alvin. Of this experience that happened in the upper level of the Kirtland Temple, Oliver Cowdery wrote, The glorious scene is too great to be described. I only say that the heavens were open to many and the great and marvelous things were shown. That's pretty awesome. That was found in the diary of Oliver Cowdery. Um... And Alvin had died in 1823, two months after Joseph had been shown the plates by Moroni. Although many older brothers may have chided and made fun of the stories told by a younger brother, Alvin believed all that Joseph told him and was totally supportive of him. He was a very special young man. In fact, when Alvin was older, he witnessed the destitute need of his parents and desired to help them build a house that would be more fitting for their family. His mother, Lucy, said that Alvin had said of his parent, I'm going to have a nice, pleasant room for them to sit in and everything arranged for their comfort, and they shall not work as they have done any more. Oh, that's so cute. That's such a good son, you know, desiring good things for the parents. And it kind of just reminds me of, like, um, I mean, I've always had a desire to have a house that I could just give to my mom or to my dad or both, I guess. I never thought I'd have to have them separate when I was younger, when I was thinking about this. But I, I do remember when I was younger, that's kind of what I wanted. Because um, I saw how hard they worked and, and how much they suffered just to just to work, you know, and get money to support us. And I also remember um, Lehuan James, he has this episode where he so this is a youtuber that's right fellas you love that <laughs> and he gifted a house to his parents and with all the money that he had been making from youtube and i just thought that that was the coolest thing ever and so so i i i think it's a awesome um desire to have to help lift your parents, you know? Um, 
then it says, when Alvin died, a 12-year-old neighbor who watched the brothers, Alvin and Hiram, work together, often wrote, they were big, stout men, but never was quarrelsome, would put up with anything and everything rather than have a quarrel. Oh, that's the cutest. And then Alvin's illness and death was extremely painful for the close family and had a special impact on the young prophet and brother. Having been attacked with painful stomach cramps and having the medical attention needed to heal him, some suggest it could have been a ruptured appendix. Alvin eventually would succumb to the illness. Before he died, however, he said to his brother Joseph, I want you to be a good boy and do everything that lays in your power to obtain the records. Be faithful in receiving instruction and keeping every commandment that is given you. Oh, what a good brother. And it makes me think of Finn and Faust and how good of brothers they are to each other and how good of brothers they are to Flora. And I just, I love that about them, that they can be each other's best friend. And I'm so glad that Finney helped to pray for Faust to get here and for Flora to get here. And Faust prayed for Flora to get here. So we have very good, very good kiddos that are great siblings to each other. Um... And Alvin died when he was 25, and Joseph was 18. So they were, looks like, seven years apart. So that would be like Faust and Flora almost, because I think you guys are like eight, almost eight years apart, but yeah. He said, uh, Alvin, Alvin's gravestone placed on a hill in Palmyra reads in memory of Alvin, son of Joseph and Lucy Mac or Lucy Smith, who died November nineteenth, eighteen twenty three, uh, in the twenty fifth year of his age. Of his death, when Joseph was eighteen years old, he wrote, "I remember well the pangs of sorrow that swelled my youthful bosom, bosom, and almost burst my tender heart when he died." He was the oldest and noblest of my father's family. He lived without spot from the time he was a child. From the time of his birth, he never knew mirth. He was candid and sober and never would play and minded his father and mother in toiling all day. He was one of the soberest of men, and when he died, the angel of the Lord visited him in his last moments. Wow. So cool. Um... It seems that Alvin's death could never slip the mind of the young prophet. Even William Joseph, William Joseph's younger brother, recalled a minister, Reverend Stockton, preaching at my brother's funeral sermon and intimidated very strongly that he had gone to hell, for Alvin was not a church member, but he was a good boy, and my father did not like it. Yeah, that would be the worst. I would be like, you get out of here, you know, just talking that, talking that smack. And on top of that, he was a reverend. Like, that's not even cool, you know? Um, so this vision, excuse me, this vision restored truth that would calm not only the hearts of the Smiths, but to men and women everywhere. It restores the reality of God's love 
that his plan of salvation is a far grander and reaching than man can sometimes put his own boundaries upon. So cool, so cool. Okay, let's start by reading verse 1. Um, oops, where are we now? It's just finding it over here. Okay, or not verse 1, we're reading the section. Okay, a vision given to Joseph Smith the prophet in the temple at Kirtland, Ohio, January 21st, 1836. Close to Finn and Flora's birthdays between them. The occasion was the administration of ordinances in preparation for the dedication of the temple. One to six, the prophet sees his brother Alvin in the celestial kingdom. Seven to nine, the doctrine of salvation for the dead is revealed. Ten, all children are saved in the celestial kingdom. Okay, the heavens were opened upon us, and I beheld the celestial kingdom of God and the glory thereof, whether in the body or out, I cannot tell. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been an overwhelming vision for sure. I saw the transcendent beauty of the gate through which the heirs of that kingdom will enter, which was like unto circling flames of fire. Also the blazing throne of God, whereon was seated the Father and the Son. I saw the beautiful streets of that kingdom, which had the appearance of being paved with gold. That's so cool. And also, whenever I meditate, like I might have told you before, I try to picture myself up there. And that is something that I include. The gold paved streets. Ooh, excuse me. Streets and sidewalks. Um, I don't. It's funny because I don't picture... I don't know what to picture for my walls, so there are no walls. <laughs> um, and I just look, I just I just sit there or stand there or walk around there, um, and I love it. And it's fun for me to imagine because it helps me, um, it helps me feel closer to them when I do that. So that's what I do. And... There's a commentary here. Let me see if I can read it here. Oh, a quote from Elder Melvin J. Ballard. He says, I was asked by one of my brethren recently as he closed the vaults of one of the great banks to lock up the treasures, whether I thought the day would ever come when treasures could be and would be preserved without fear of being stolen and it would not be necessary to lock them up. I remarked, that surely that day will come for all those who will enter into the celestial kingdom will be so honest that they could live and walk within hand's reach of that which is not theirs with nothing to prevent them from possessing it. Following that high standard established in the gospel of Christ and the, and the restitude of their own intentions being worked out in actual living for they who enter that state will so honest will be so honest that God can pave the streets with gold and set the walls with jasper and diamonds without any fear of being stolen. Yes, there will come such a day. Now, however, we are being proven to see whether we are worthy to enter into these high and holy privileges. That's so cool. October 1929 conference. Okay, so um before this commentary actually um actually not before it but part of this it's in redheaded hostess again she says 
Then Joseph speaks of the blazing throne of God, whereon was seated the Father and the Son. And they have she has they have some questions for us. Do they really sit on thrones? We don't know. But what was Joseph learning? Who sits upon thrones, and even more, a throne that is blazing? What does this teach you about God the Father and Jesus Christ? What does the Lord want you to understand about the celestial kingdom with these details? Then Joseph explains that the streets of the kingdom were, were beautiful and had the appearance of being paved with gold. What does this teach you about the celestial kingdom? So just with that, all those good questions, um, we can move on to number five in or to verse five in section 137 and it's just it's just it's just great like these visual that these visual explanations that he's giving but also not great because then we're like is it imagery is it for real is it you know like how would if you were shown these things too like how would you describe them in a way that people would understand like lots of years later like if we used our slang terms now how would they interpret them later would we say that they were literally paved with gold right like would that help describe things or would we or would some people think, oh, that means it's for real. And some people think, well, we use the word literally like all the time. So maybe it's not literally, but like as if it were, but almost, you know? So, so think about that when you're, when you're thinking about the scriptures and, and when people describe things. Okay. Verse five. I saw Father Adam and Abraham and my father and my mother, my brother Alvin and his and my brother Alvin that has long since slept and marveled how it was that he had obtained an inheritance in that kingdom, seeing that he had departed this life before the Lord had set his hand to gather Israel the second time and had not been baptized for the remission of sins. Thus came the voice of the Lord unto me, saying, All who have died without a knowledge of this gospel, who would have received it, if they had been permitted to tarry, shall be heirs of the celestial kingdom of God. Okay, that is, like, just awesome, right? So anyone who has died who did not receive the gospel, but who would have also are able to be heirs of the celestial kingdom i don't know how it works you know the lord's gonna sort that out later um but when we are given opportunities to take advantage of the gospel and its privileges then we need to take them because guess what we are on the earth and we didn't die yet so um also all that shall die henceforth without a knowledge of it who would have received it with all their hearts shall be heirs of that kingdom number nine for i the lord will judge all men according to their works according to the desire of their hearts and i also beheld that all children who die before they arrive at the years of accountability are saved in the celestial kingdom of heaven
not just beautiful i love that so much and of course for the little children the lord has a plan for all of his children and i like that and then in there's some commentary here it says joseph understood the importance of baptism in order to enter into the celestial kingdom he knew that doctrine so he began to marvel at how alvin was there what did joseph not yet understand Joseph had been taught that the only place for Alvin, for Alvin was hell. Yet this teaching was in direct contrast to all that he had that he had known. The Lord explained all who have died without a knowledge of the gospel who would have received it if they had been permitted to tarry shall be heirs of the celestial kingdom of God. The Lord continued and said also all that shall die henceforth without a knowledge of it. Who would have received it with all their hearts shall be heirs of that kingdom and then the lord explained for i the lord will judge all men according to their works according to the to the desires of their hearts so finally to go against all current teachings of the time but in line with the merciful plan of the great creator joseph beheld that all children who die before they arrive at the years of accountability are saved in the celestial kingdom of heaven so regarding this um, salvation of the little children, Joseph continued his teaching and he wrote this in, and you can find it in Joseph Smith teachings. It says, in my leisure moments, I have meditated upon the subject and asked the question why it is that infants, innocent children are taken away from us, especially those that seem to be the most intelligent and interesting. The Lord takes many away, even in infancy, that they may escape the envy of man and the sorrows and evils of the present world. They were too pure, too lovely to live on earth. Therefore, if rightly considered, instead of mourning, we have reason to rejoice as they are delivered from the evil and we saw, and we shall soon have them again. Uh, it's really easy to write that on paper, I guess. I mean, surprisingly that Joseph wrote that. But um, but yeah, I, I don't agree with that. I can't rejoice, you know? I don't agree with that. <laughs> but I guess that's okay because I don't, I also don't have conversations with the Lord. So my vision is a little bit more limited than, than the prophets, which makes sense. Okay. Um, and that's okay. I don't have to like, like it. I just know that, that, that it happens. Um, all children, he says, continues, all children are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the moment that children leave this world, they are taken to the bosom of Abraham. The only difference between the old and young dying is one lives longer in heaven and eternal light and glory than the other and is freed a little sooner from this miserable wicked world i mean i guess but sadly we have been trained now <laughs> to have these expectations of life like when a child is born you see or even when the child is conceived you see every moment in their life before they were born you know how your life flashes or they say you know how they say that your life flashes before you when you're about to die or when you do something that could be super dangerous like all of the things come back to your memory and like your life flashes before your eyes right well i think as soon as there's the hope of a child being born then 
their life flashes before their parents' eyes, you know, or their brother's eyes, for example. And it's hard. I'm not saying, you know, impossible, but it's hard to let that go. It's There's definitely a mourning of those hopes, dreams, wishes, expectations that we have. And yeah, you might say like when you have expectations, that's when you're going to get be let down. But if you don't have expectations, then I don't know. I mean, I guess if you don't have expectations, then you're, you don't even look into the future. I don't know. <laughs> I I I have expectations and it's hard to let some of those things go in real life and so I can totally understand how some peeps would not appreciate that so much that their child passed away and not look at all the positives. I'm sure that it comes with time where the Lord will bless that person to uh be comforted to be able to see those heavenly expectations instead and hopefully with time you know it kind of helps but it's so hard i've had a few friends who have had friend uh, who have had children pass away it's not easy they go to their grave every year they talk about them all the time they celebrate their birthdays every year they you know it's it's not it's not they they miss them you know they miss them Okay, but that must be something that I mean, I believe that our whole soul would miss that would miss that child or that person because I just I know how much I miss Lama Mama. So if I had a child pass away, I think I think I'd miss them so terribly. So Anyways, my heart goes out to those parents who have had children pass away. Um, and I think that's why the, the pioneer stories get me all the time because so many of their children died while they were following the Lord. And and so it, we definitely want to be careful when we're talking to those parents and not be like, hey, by the way, I read this thing <laughs> about Joseph and he says we should be happier that they died. <laughs> yeah. Let's be sensitive to people and just say sorry, because think of it as how you would act um, if something like that happened in your family. And pretty sure it would not be something so um, something so easy for us because we don't peer into eternity the way the prophet does. And that, and that's okay. And that's okay. You know, it gives us something to look forward to, right? I'm glad that he says it that way because then it gives me hope to know that he had a child pass away and he's glad, he's more glad that they died than they lived. But that's because he can see into eternity that way. I can't. And so I have that limiting view. And so it makes sense that I would be even like, I would be really sad, you know? And so, and, but for him, it was still line upon line. Like he didn't know that immediately when his, his children died. Like he knew that after, right. Um, because of this vision and because of other revelations that he got. So, um, okay. Um, we are now on section 138.
Okay, and 138 is a revelation given to Joseph F. Smith. And fun fact, he is the nephew of Joseph Smith, the prophet Joseph Smith. And another interesting fact is that he was um, the last president of the church to have known him personally. So that's interesting, right? Um, okay, so Joseph F. Smith was born November 13th, 1838. And he was born in far west Missouri. His father was Hiram Smith. And oh, excuse me. And his mother was Mary Fielding Smith. Okay, that's awesome. Hiram Smith. So his so his brother who passed away or who who was also murdered. Um, and then he was five years old when his father Hiram was killed. Remember that when Joseph Smith was killed too? So he was five. Okay, and he was 10 years old when he and his mother Mary Fielding Smith came to Utah. Then he served a mission to Hawaii just before he f turned 16. What? Could you imagine sending your son to a mission to Hawaii without letters, phone calls, uh, cell phone texts, FaceTime? <laughs> Dude, that's crazy back then, like, uh, and sending them off when they're before 16. So that means they're 15 and they're traveling the world. Uh, I should probably, I shouldn't should myself, first of all, but I could probably send Finn somewhere, but it would probably be with his grandma and not by himself, you know, um, and that's just wild. And then he served as president of the church for... Um, 17 years from October 17, 1901 until November 19, 1918. And then his uh, mother died when he was 13 years old. What? Oh, so maybe that's why he wanted to leave to serve. Because if his mother died and his father uh, was killed, then he just has, then he's probably, you know, on his own kind of thing even though he has um even though he has siblings probably um then 13 of his children preceded him in death oh that's sad is that what that says 13 of his children preceded him in death so like he died and then 13 children were still alive because that would be good or no, it couldn't have been 13 children of his die and then he's still alive. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But d having 13 of his children die would be the worst. Um, maybe that's what it says. Okay, you guys will have to tell me what it means. Um, and then World War One, nine million dead. And in 1918, worldwide flu pandemic. Great. Estimated 50 million deaths worldwide wow so he lived through a pandemic or maybe didn't live through it maybe he passed away with that pandemic too because he died november 19th 1918 so yeah maybe he died from the flu in october of 1918 oh here we go jo president joseph f smith attended only the opening few minutes of general conference in his short address he explained so we'll read it here 
As most of you, I suppose, are aware, I have been undergoing a siege of very serious illness for the last five months. I would, it would be impossible for me on this occasion to occupy sufficient time to express the desires of my heart and my feelings as I would desire to express them to you. But I felt that it was my duty, if possible, to present and to take, take some little part this morning in the opening session of this 89th semi-annual conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For more than 70 years, I have been a worker in this cause with you and, and your fathers and progenitors, pioneers who broke the way into these valleys of the mountains, and my heart is just as firmly set with you today as it has ever been. Although somewhat weakened in my bo in body, my mind is clear with reference to my duty and with reference to the duties and responsibilities that rest upon the Latter-day Saints, and I am ever anxious for the progress of the work of the Lord, for the prosperity of the people of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints throughout the world. I am as anxious as I ever have been and as earnest as my desires that Zion shall prosper and that the Lord shall favor his people and magnify them in his sight and the, in the knowledge and understanding of the intelligent people of all the world. I will not and I, I will not, I dare not attempt to enter upon many things that are resting upon my mind this morning, and I shall postpone until some future time, the Lord being willing, my attempt to tell you some of the things that are in my mind and that dwell in my heart. I have not lived alone these five months. I have dwelt in the spirit of prayer, of supplication, of faith, and of determination. And I have had my communication with the spirit of the Lord continuously and I am glad to say to you, my brethren and sisters, that it is a happy meeting this morning for me to have the privilege of joining with you in the opening of this 89th semi-annual conference of the church. Oh, that's cute. Um, and also probably really hard for him to, to be there and to like not be there, right? Um, and then here at the bottom it says, one of the communications he had received was in vision in... Doctrine and Covenants 138. Following General Conference, Joseph Fielding Smith, Joseph F. Smith's son, wrote down the vision of his father, or wrote down the vision his father had, and his father dictated it to him. The vision was the su submitted, was then submitted to Joseph F. Smith's two counselors, the Quorum of the Twelve and the presiding patriarch, and was approved as an official revelation for the church on October 31st, 1918. It was accepted as canonized scripture in 1976 and approved for publication in the Pearl of Great Price. The presidency in June of 1979 announced it would become section 138 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Well, that's cool. So in like the year before I was born and the year after dad was born, um, they put section 138 into section, or they put this part into section 138. So that's pretty fun, huh? Okay, uh, verse one, let's see, just kidding. We're going to go and get the verse here. Just kind of jumping around. Don't jump around. Okay, um, 
a vision given to President Joseph F. Smith in Salt Lake City, Utah, on October 3rd, 1918. In his opening address at the 89th Semi-Annual General Conference of the Church on October 4th, 1918, President Smith declared that he had received several divine communications during the previous months, one of these concerning the Savior's visit to the spirits of the dead while his body was in the tomb. President Smith had received the previous day it was written immediately following the close of the conference on October 31st, 1918. It was submitted to the counselors in the First Presidency, the Council of the Twelve, and the Patriarch, and it was unanimously accepted by them. Okay, uh, section, or er, verses 1 to 10, President, uh, President Joseph F. Smith ponders upon the writings of Peter and our Lord's visit to the spirit world. 11 to 24, President Smith's sees the righteous dead assembled in paradise and Christ's ministry among them. 25 to 37, he sees how the preaching of the gospel was organized among the spirits. 38 to 52, he sees Adam, Eve, and many other many of the holy prophets in the spirit world who considered their spirit state before their resurrection as a bondage. 53 to 60, the righteous dead of his day continue their labors in the world of spirits. Okay, we're going to pause because we're going to check on Flora. And she's doing really good right now. So, okay, uh, let's read verse one. On the third day, on the third of October in the year 1918, I sat in my room pondering over the scriptures and reflecting upon the great atoning sacrifice that was made by the Son of God for the redemption of the world and the great and wonderful love made manifest by the Father and the Son in the coming of the redemption and the son in the coming of the redeemer into the world that through his atonement and by obedience to the principles of the gospel mankind might be saved while i was thus engaged my my mind reverted to the writings of the apostle peter to the primitive saints scattered abroad throughout pontus galatia Cappadoni cappadocia and other parts of asia where the gospel had been preached after the crucifixion of the lord Okay, we're going to pause there and we're going to read a, a little quote here. Um, in October General Conference 2020, President Nelson gave us the this insight in one way he seeks answers and of his search learned about the gathering of Israel. He said, I have studied the gathering, prayed about it, feasted upon every related scripture and asked the Lord to increase my understanding. That's amazing. I love like his pattern of, of how he receives revelation. Likewise, it says, Joseph F. Smith explained here how he received his vision before he actually tells us what he saw and learned. He makes sure to explain the process to us, which is very valuable. He explained that he was pondering over the scriptures, reflecting on the great atoning sacrifice, and while he was thus engaged, his mind then went to Paul's writings which put him in the state of mind to receive the vision. He was in a state of mind where the spirit could lead and teach him. Other prophets have also modeled and, and taught this important process. Joseph Smith modeled it in the sacred grove and then throughout the revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants. He showed this throughout his entire life that questions and pondering precede revelation. Likewise, President David O. McKay taught meditation is one of the most secret, most sacred doors through which we pass into the presence of the Lord. Ooh, I love that because um, I love meditating. And it's funny because like I don't 
I didn't used to um, really meditate, but I have found that whenever like I hear the word prayer or need or want to have a prayer, what I do like my body just naturally breathe, breathes in and breathes out deeply and like just like deep breaths, you know, and that's like that's like meditation, like really just centering yourself back to, you know, I don't know, like grounding yourself and making sure that you're taking those breaths and that you're being mindful of your feelings. And anyway, it's just kind of cool to just sit there and no, you don't have to go like, oh, no, because I know you boys are thinking that Um, you just can sit there. You can stand there. You can be laying and meditating. It doesn't matter the position that you're in, Um, but just taking deep breaths in and out and just kind of calming your mind and then and then you can like for me anyway I can communicate with Heavenly Father more because I can picture myself in his presence or in the presence of the Savior and Heavenly Father and it or just like walking in the hallways of heaven like wouldn't that be cool like that's what I like to picture when I meditate because it's just so calming to me um and puts things into perspective you know and then president henry b iring he taught but reading studying and pondering are not the same we read words and we may get ideas we study and we may discover patterns and connections in scripture but when we ponder we invite revelation by the spirit pondering to me is the thinking and the praying i do after reading and studying in the scriptures carefully for me president Joseph F. Smith set an example of how pondering can invite light from God. Like, I could not have put that better myself. You know, that's just perfect. And that's from the General Conference, October 2010. So, um, I love that. Okay, so then we'll continue to verse 6 says, I opened the Bible and read the third and fourth chapters of the first epistle of Peter. And as I read, I was greatly impressed more than I had ever been before with the following passages. For Christ also hath, oh, um, I'm getting a phone call. So let's stop recording. Okay. It looks like I need to pause my reading uh, because I am being summoned to help Frodo with his shower because dad is waiting for a towel for for Frodo. (laughs) So we'll be back. Okay, we're back. And we are here with that Flora. Woo! (laughs) She got herself off of the, um, what's it called? Off of the beanbag chairs. So that's exciting without hurting herself. Good job, Flora. Yeah, you did good. Um, Okay, so we were at verse 7. And this is from First Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 20. Um, and so they're including it here in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 138. So, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. 
for thus or for for this cause was the gospel preached to them that are dead that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh but live according to god in the spirit Okay, so here's some redheaded hostess commentary. President Joseph F. Smith demonstrates the exciting adventure of line-upon-line learning. He already was familiar with the passages in 1 Peter, and the Spirit brought those verses to his mind. So President Smith turned there in his Bible. Notice in verse 5 how much he knew about the background of these scriptures, yet there were things he didn't, he did not yet understand. Even as the prophet, there were treasures to still be discovered. The scripture spoke of Jesus going to preach to the saints or spirits in prison, not saints, spirits in prison. This was not yet a truth restored to the earth. So President Smith was not aware of what Peter meant. This was an exciting time of increased understanding for him. Okay, I got to help this Flora. She's now exploring all kinds of places that she is not welcome to explore. <laughs> Of course, she's not exploring her toys all the way over there. Why not? It's more exciting over here with the iPad and and my phone and the TV and the video games. Huh. Okay, pausing. Okay, we're going to resume verse 10. For, the, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Oh, yes. Sorry. I read that one. As I pondered over these things which are written, the eyes of my understanding were open, and the spirit of the Lord rested upon me, and I saw the hosts of, hev- or the, I saw the hosts of the dead, both small and great. And there were gathered together in one place an innumerable company of the spirits, of the just who had been faithful in the testimony of Jesus while they lived in mortality and who had offered sacrifice in the similitude of the great sacrifice of the Son of God and had suffered tribulation in their Redeemer's name. All these had departed the mortal life firm in the hope of the glorious resurrection through the grace of God the Father and his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. I beheld that they were filled with joy and gladness and were rejoicing together because the day of their deliverance was at hand. They were assembled awaiting the advent of the Son of God into the spirit world to declare their redemption from the bands of death. Their sleeping dust was to be restored. Ah, shoo! Come, come, come. And we had to take the shoe outside because he was going crazy and throwing up like crazy shumai. Ah, Okay. So we are on verse 17, but I'm going to read a little commentary here from verse um, 11 to 15. It says, as President Smith was prepared, as was pondering, then the eyes of his understanding were opened. The word revelation literally means to remove the veil, and that was what President Smith was about to receive. The veil was about to be removed, and he was going to learn something that could only come through revelation. There are different ways to receive revelation, and a vision is one of them, which was what President Smith experienced in this moment. President Smith saw the hosts of the dead gathered together in one place, and he understood that there were those in the spirit world who had been faithful when they lived upon the earth. 
They were hoping for a glorious resurrection. Teaching of the spirit of the spirit world, President Benson taught the following, and he used Brigham Young's words as well. So it says, the spirit world is not far away. From the Lord's point of view, it is all one great program on both sides of the veil. Sometimes the veil between this life and the life beyond becomes very thin. This, I know, our loved ones who have passed on are not far from us. One church president asked, where is the spirit world? And then answered his own question, it is right here. Do spirits go beyond the boundaries of the, this organized earth? No, they do not. They are brought forth upon this earth for their express purpose of inhabiting it to all eternity. He also said, if the Lord would permit it, and it was his, or, and it was his will that it should be done, you should see the spirits that have departed from this world as plainly as you see, as you now see bodies with your natural eyes. So President Ezra Taft Benson, Ensign, April 1993. Okay, now I'm going to read number 17. There's a commentary with that. Their sleeping dust was to be restored unto its perfect frame, bone to his bone, and the sinews and the flesh upon them, the spirit and the body to be united, never again to be divided, that they might receive a fullness of joy. Okay, and the commentary on number... 17 is we don't like to think about our spirits and bodies being even temporarily separated at death but in the resurrection what will be the joy of the faithful when the spirit and the body will be inseparably joined together in celestial glory next to the human spirit the human body is the greatest of all god's creations without which we could never have a fullness of joy. Our spirits were begotten of God in heaven, and one of the most important purposes of our mortal lives is to be added upon with a body of flesh and bones. This was also one of the important purposes of the earth, of the earth life of Jesus. It has always been something of a mystery to me why some people are so insistent in depriving God, the greatest of all, of his body. This is especially hard to understand when we know that it was part of the punishment for Lucifer's sin that he could never progress beyond the status of a spirit. If a body of flesh and bones were not necessary, it never would have been created in the first place. If it were not necessary for eternity, the resurrection never would have been instituted. If a body were not necessary for God the Father, then there would have been no point in God the Son being resurrected. Certainly a glorious resurrection day will be one of the most thrilling days. Ooh, that's amazing. I really like that. That would be like a good quote to go with like a lesson that you talk about um, having respect for our bodies and how important they are. So I think that would be, that'd be amazing. Um, and like your body's a temple, you know? Um, okay. So that was from elder Sterling W. Sill, April, 1964 general conference. Okay. And then we're going to read number 18. So we're just reading all kinds of stuff. Okay. While this vast multitude waited and conversed, rejoicing in the hour of their deliverance from the chains of death, the son of God appeared declaring liberty to the captives who had been faithful. And there he preached to them the everlasting gospel, the doctrine of the resurrection and the redemption of mankind from the fall and from individual sins on conditions of repentance. And that sounds amazing, right? 
that even those who have died can have the opportunity to repent. And I love that because that that makes sense to me, you know, because when we die, like, yes, this is, it says, you know, that this is the time for man to prepare to meet God. But also, what if you die, you know, too soon or whatever, you know, not everybody gets to die when they're a hundred. And so, like, I feel like you need a good solid hundred years to prepare to meet God, then you can die. <laughs> That's just my, it's just my thing, you know? And I don't know, some people might refuse to live to 100. I know La Mama was like, I am not living past. And then like, I don't know what age she would say, but she was just like, I'm gonna be dying soon. And like, she would just always talk about it because she didn't ever want to live that long. <laughs> so, which is kind of funny. Um, okay. And commentary. Oh, this one's gonna take a while because I keep adding commentary so maybe but it's so good though okay so verses 18 and 19 commentary that we just read the president then president smith witnessed the glorious moment when the savior came into the spirit world this moment would have been following the fulfillment of the lord's atonement he would have just borne the weight of the sins of the world he would have just endured the incompre incomprehensible atonement which he himself described it by saying which suffering caused myself even god the greatest of all to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit and he endured until he could say it is finished this is the context of verse 18 following his victory he was able to go into the spirit world and declared liberty to the captives who had been faithful oh so even those who had been faithful were still captive because the lord hadn't resurrected hadn't been resurrected yet have you ever lost a loved one and imagine what reunions and glorious moments were waiting for them in the next life? Verse 18 was the moment for the that moment for the Savior. He had faithful spirits waiting for him and he was able to be welcomed by them and declare their liberty to them. Imagine that moment. Oh man. Be amazing. Be amazing. After all that suffering the Lord had just endured and now to be able to proclaim liberty. And these spirits were anxiously awaiting his, procla his proclamation so that their sleeping dust could be restored to its perfect frame. To be united, never again to be divided. What a moment for President Smith to witness. Yeah, no wonder they put it in the Doctrine and Covenants, right? Okay, verses, verses 20... We'll just keep reading verse 20. Oh boy, we have Flora venturing out to a bunch of places. We better close the doors. Okay, here we go. Verse 20. But unto the wicked he did not go. And among the ungodly and the unrepentant who had defiled themselves while in the flesh, his voice was not raised. Neither did the rebellious who rejected the testimonies and the warnings of the ancient prophets behold his presence, nor look upon his face. Wow, that's intense. 22. Where these were, darkness reigned, but among the righteous, there was peace. I feel like I could say the same thing about us now, right? 23. And the saints rejoiced in their redemption and bowed the knee and acknowledged the Son of God as their Redeemer and Deliverer from death and the chains of hell. 24. Their countenances shone, and the radiance from the presence of the Lord rested upon them. They sang praises unto his holy name. 25. 
I marveled, for I understood that the Savior spent about three years in his ministry among the Jews and those of the house of Israel, endeavoring to teach them the everlasting gospel and call them unto repentance. And yet, notwithstanding his mighty works and miracles and proclamation of the truth, the great power and authority there were but few who hearkened to his voice and rejoiced in his presence and received salvation at his hands. Oh, man. Okay, so this is interesting. So, um... People who, what I mean, what I think he's saying here is like, even though people saw the power of the Lord and the power of God on the earth, there were still only a few people who hearkened to his voice. There were only a few people. That means from, even from all of us here on the earth who believe in Jesus Christ, there's still only going to be a few people who hearken to his voice, you know? Uh, and that's why, that's why it's our job to help preach the gospel and help spread the word and help those people spread the word, you know, kind of like a ripple effect. Um, Number 27, and I wondered at the words of Peter, wherein he said that the Son of God preached unto the spirits in prison, who sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, and how it was possible for him to preach to those spirits and perform the necessary labor among them in so short a time. Yeah, it is pretty crazy how their t- how the time that he spent there was super short to us because it was just three days, right? But I bet, like, the Lord has different time, right? Like, remember, we're, like, bound by specific time constraints and definitions of time. But the Lord is not. And so, and this is part of, like, time travel or maybe not time travel, but, like, where... It gets confusing, you know? Dad doesn't like time travel movies. <laughs> or I should say movies with time travel because then it gets complicated and it's hard to explain certain things from time traveling. But, I mean, this is not like time travel. This is more like, you know, leaving and going to a different realm, right? Okay, so there's a commentary here. Man, I know I don't want to read every single one, but it's so good. Okay, what do we know of the spirit world? from Elder Dallin H. Oaks, he said, what do we really know about conditions of the spirit world? I believe a BYU religion professor article, religion professor's article in this subject had it right. When we ask ourselves what we know about the spirit world from the standard works, the answer is not as much as we often think. Of course, we know from the scriptures that after our bodies die, we continue to live as spirits in the spirit world. The scriptures also teach that this Spirit world is divided between those who have been righteous or just during life and those who have been wicked. They also describe how some faithful spirits teach the gospel to those who have been wicked and or rebellious. Doctrine and Covenants, section 138, 19, 20, 19 to 20, 29, 32, 37. Most important, modern revelation reveals that the work of salvation goes forward in the spirit world. And although we are urged not to procrastinate our repentance during mortality, we are taught that same repentance is possible there. Isn't that awesome? President 
Dallin H. Oaks October 2019 Journal Conference. So as you can see, the above quote, these verses provide a lot of doctrine that we know about with the spirit world. Notice verse 22 that we learned that among the wicked darkness reigned. We often call this spirit prison, but another name for it is hell. The Bible dictionary explains that in Latter-day Revelation, hell is spoken of in at least two senses. One is the temporary abode in the spirit world of those who were disobedient in the mortal life. And it is between death and the resurrection. Hell, as thus defined, will have an end when all the captive spirits have paid the price of their sins and enter into a degree of glory. On the other hand, the devil and his angels, including the sons of perdition, are assigned to a place spoken of as a lake of fire, a figure of eternal anguish. This condition is sometimes called hell in the scriptures. This kind of hell, which is after the resurrection and judgment in is exclusively for the devil and his angels and is not the same as that consistent only of the period between death and resurrection. The only group are redeemed from hell and inherit some degree of glory. The other receive no glory. They continue in spiritual darkness. For them, the conditions of hell remain. So that's the Bible dictionary about hell. Okay, so now I think I was on, I just messed up where I left off. Sorry about the background music also. Okay, I think we were on 27. Um, yes, 27. Okay, but his ministry among those who were dead was limited to the brief time intervening between the crucifixion and his resurrection, which we know is three days, right? And I won number 28, and I wondered at the words of Peter, wherein he said that the Son of God preached unto the spirits in the prison or in prison who sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah and how it was possible for him to preach in those spirit spirits and perform the necessary labor among them in so short of time so yeah this was pretty crazy and um we know that i guess he wondered the same thing as well so number 29 and I wonder, and as I wondered, my eyes were open and my understanding quickened, and I perceived that the Lord went not in person among the wicked and the disobedient who had rejected the truth to teach them. But behold, from among the righteous, he organized his forces and appointed messengers clothed with power and authority and commissioned them to go forth and carry the light of the gospel to them that were in darkness, even to all the spirits of men. And thus was the gospel preach to the dead okay so remember there's different degrees of glory and in several of them we can see jesus christ well it seemed like he was kind of following that same pattern when he went to preach to those who had passed away um before his resurrection and he was able to preach to those people who were righteous but who had not uh, who are awaiting the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he went to preach there. and But then he did not 
preach in person to those who had been wicked, which seems to align really well with what he has said about the different degrees of glory, where one of them you don't see him, one of them you see Christ, and then the other one you're going to see Christ and Heavenly Father. And so, but he was able to, but because he loves us, he was able to help and establish his order of um of doing things and sent messengers you know and people who could minister to those people who were in that place who had been more wicked um and had made bad choices you know so that's cool and the oh hi she got up on the treadmill i think she's trying to get off hi are you trying to get off here i help you there you go she's she took her first step today her first two steps we tried it there you go. You got it. Her first two steps today, huh, Flora? We're so proud of you, miss. Let's see. And today is December 6th, 2021. <laughs> first steps by Flora. That way everybody will know. Okay. Um, all right. And then 31. The, and the chosen messengers went forth to declare the acceptable day of the Lord and proclaim liberty to the captives who were bound, even unto all who would, who would repent of their sins and receive the gospel. Thus was the gospel preached to those who had died in their sins without a knowledge of the truth or in, tra in transgression, having rejected the prophets. These were taught faith in God, repentance from sin, vicarious baptism for the remission of sins, the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands and all other principles of the gospel that were necessary for them to know in order to qualify themselves that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. And so it was made known among the dead, both small and great, the unrighteous as well as the faithful and the redemption had been brought through the sacrifice of the son of God upon the cross. So... Um, okay, let me keep going. Thus was it made known that our Redeemer spent his time during his sojourn in the world of spirits, instructing and preparing the faithful spirits of the prophets who had testified of him in the flesh, that they might carry the message of redemption unto all the dead, unto whom he could not go personally because of their rebellion and transgression, that they might, that they through the ministration of his servants might also hear his words. And so just because you make bad choices doesn't mean the gospel of Jesus Christ is not available to you. Obviously the Lord here is saying, or the Lord here is showing Joseph, um, that he's able, that we're able to receive that, but we'll get to receive it from messengers first right um and i like that the chosen um the chosen uh christmas special for 2021 was so cute and they i think it's called the messengers or something and it's really cool and i would suggest you look it up it's super cool super cool and so really really neat um, and just really good messages. And basically it's a lot of Christians getting together talking about, we need to share the message of Jesus Christ. Um, and let's see. So I ended there at 37. So here's a, some commentary about that. President Smith had been pondering first Peter three eighteen twenty, 20, where Peter taught, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. 
In the vision, President Smith saw the Lord among the faithful. But what, uh, but what about what Peter said about the Lord preaching to those in prison? The vision then answered that question. The Lord went not in person among the wicked, but rather organized his forces and appointed messengers, clothed with power and authority, and commissioned them to go forth. So, let, so the Lord's messengers went forth in his name, clothed with the power of the priesthood. Um, and then of these verses, Orson Pratt taught... The same gospel must be sounded in their ears that was sounded in the ears of the living. If they reject it in their prison houses, they will be punished by the same law you and I will be punished by if we reject it in the flesh. Those messengers sent to preach in prison will most likely interrogate the prisoners in language something like this. Will you receive our testimony? Do you believe that Jesus Christ has tasted death for every man? Do you believe that through your repentance and faith and through the ordinance of baptism in your behalf by those that are living in yonder world, you may have remission of your sins if they believe it and actually do repent. The ordinance of baptism administered here in their belief will benefit them there. But says one, this being baptized for another looks rather inconsistent to me. Why does it? Suppose a man is placed in a situation that he could not be baptized for himself. Must his sins be retained unto him? Must he remain in prison throughout all ages of eternity because he has lost his body and has not the privilege of being baptized? Does that look inconsistent with the justice of God? Then why not another person administer in his behalf? Just so the dead could not help themselves without messengers being sent to them in the pr- in their prison houses and without persons in the flesh being authorized to receive the gospel ordinances for them and in their behalf. Orson Pratt, Journal Discourses. So I think that's amazing. And I think it's, uh, it's totally consistent with everything that we learn here. And I, I was just thinking about the questions that he was, you know, asking or that he was um, hypothetically saying that maybe that's those are the questions that they ask in the spirit world. And I was thinking, I wonder if they have like their own temple recommend type, type of interview questions. And I love those questions. In fact, I just had my temple recommend renewed um, this past month in November. And the questions are just awesome. And I think I already told you like each question just kind of brings me back to my connection with Christ and how I'm connecting with him. And so it's just like a good reminder to, um, to see where you're at with your testimony, to make sure that you're still actively seeking opportunities to grow your testimony in Christ and to, to practice and exercise those faith muscles. Um, because that way they'll only continue to get better and stronger. So I just like the idea that they might have questions like uh, like the ones that we have for, for temples. So for temple recommends, which would be really cool, right? Okay, number 38. Okay, we're going to go from 38 to 41. So 38, among the great and mighty ones who were assembled in this vast congregation of the right, 
righteous were Father Adam, the Ancient of Days, and Father of All, and our glorious Mother Eve, with many of her faithful daughters who had lived through the ages and worshipped the true and living God. I love that he showed respect for Mother Eve, and I love that our um, that our faith does not put her down or diminish her in any way, and um, that that we can show respect for our first parents, you know. Um, and and it's part of our it's part of a commandment, right? To love thy father and thy mother. And I I just love that. And I know that in the talking scriptures podcast they also talk about that and I I thought it was really cool to make sure that we continue to show that respect and how a lot of different faiths don't believe that. Um and they put her down because we think that it's her fault that we suffer but i mean we wouldn't even exist let alone suffer anything joy or sadness right um hi hi Hi, can you say hi say hi say hi yeah i think she's a little bit hungry for some good food some good breakfast yeah um, number 40, Abel, the first martyr, was there, and his brother Seth, one of the mighty ones, who was in the express image of his father, Adam. Noah, who gave warning of the flood, Shem, the great high priest, Abraham, the father of the faithful, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, the great lawgiver of Israel. Oh, I love it. And... Isaiah, who declared the, by prophecy that the Redeemer was anointed to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that were bound were also there. Um, okay, so commentary from 38 to 41. Image, imagine, just kidding. <laughs> um, okay, so we read up to 42. Imagine this missionary force. The image, President Smith, seeing this gathering of souls, Adam, Eve, Abel, Seth, Noah, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and more. Can you imagine being taught the gospel by them? Imagine hearing them testify. Imagine their courage. Imagine their conviction. Imagine. (laughs) That's like right now, Finn and Faster in this little phase of imagine, imagine. So there you go, guys. You can imagine that. Notice in verse 39 that President Smith does not just see Mother Eve, but also many of her faithful daughters who have lived through the ages and worship the true and living God. Um, what a scene to behold. I kind of picture... You know, that scene in Endgame where all the superhero women show up and it's just like a sweet army of women and it's just amazing. That's kind of what I picture um, because I remember that scene all the time and specifically remember how it made me feel. And I just remember it made me feel so good. 
so so good um and so i imagine that this scene would be awesome too and it said um the commentary said what a wonderful description to to earn as a daughter of god to be seen as one who had worshiped the true and living god these women who had lived throughout the ages would have been in different areas of the world, speaking different languages, cooking different foods, dealing with different civilizations and the challenges that came within them. Or yes, they would have worn different fashions, lived in different houses, been exposed to different religions and faced different historical events. But what title do they all earn? What was the defining attribute that President Smith noticed? They had ultimately worshipped the true and living God. That's powerful. It's a powerful message. Um, okay, 43. Ooh. 43. Moreover, Ezekiel, who was shown in the vision the great valley of dry bones, which were in the clothes which were to be clothed upon the flesh to come forth again in the resurrection of the dead, living souls. Hmm. I didn't read that right. Moreover, Ezekiel, who was shown in the vision, the great valley of dry bones, which were to be clothed upon the flesh, upon with flesh, to come forth again in the resurrection of the dead, living souls. Okay, well, Daniel, who foresaw and foretold the establishment of the kingdom of God in the latter days, never again to be destroyed nor given to other people. Elias, who was with Moses on the mountain of transfiguration and Malachi, the prophet who testified of the coming of Elijah, of whom also Moroni spake in the pro- to the prophet Joseph Smith, declaring that he should come before the ushering in of the great and dreadful day of the Lord were also there. The prophet Elijah was to plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to their fathers, foreshadowing the great work to be done in the temples of the Lord, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, for the redemption of the dead, and the sealing of the children of their parents, lest the whole earth be smitten with a curse and utterly wasted at his coming. All these and many more, even the prophets who dwelt among the Nephites and testified of the coming of the Son of God, mingled in the vast assembly and waited for their deliverance. For the dead had looked upon the long absence of their spirits from their bodies as a bondage. 51. These the Lord taught and gave them power to come forth after the resurrection from the dead to enter into his Father's kingdom, there to be crowned with immortality and eternal life. And 52, and continue thenceforth their labor as had been promised by the Lord and be partakers of all blessings which were held in reserve for them that love him. Okay, so let's see. I only have a teensy bit more here. 53. So 50... One has a little quote commentary by President Dallin H. Oaks. So, hold on. First this. So, even though the righteous spirits experience peace, they are still experiencing a state of bondage, for they look upon the long absence of their spirits from the bodies as bondage. Oh, man, I wonder, because you can only do so many things in spirit, even. Just like you can only do so many things in... Whoops, I'm reading to the wrong thing. Um, it, they're feeling bondage because in from their spirit or from their bodies because they probably only do certain things in the spirit. And then kind of like us now where we can only do certain things in this, in our bodies and we wish we could do 
more things in our bodies. But um, that's interesting that, that they would experience that kind of bondage. Or that they would experience bondage too. And it says... The work of sal oh this is from President Dallin H. Oaks. It says the work of salvation in the spirit world consists of freeing spirits from what the scriptures frequently describe as bondage. All in the spirit Hold on, please. Okay, here, let's, let's go together. All in the spirit world are under some form of bondage. President Joseph F. Smith's great revelation canonized in section 138 of Doctrine and Covenants states that the righteous dead who were in a state of peace as they anticipated the resurrection had looked upon the long absence of their spirits from their bodies as a bondage. The wicked also suffer in additional bondage because of the unrepented sins they were in what the Apostle Peter referred to as a spirit prison. These spirits are described as bound or as captives or as cast out into outer darkness with weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth as they awaited resurrection and judgment. Resurrection for all in the spirit world is assured by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, though it occurs at different times for different groups. Until that appointed time, what the scriptures tell us about activity in the spirit world principally concerns the work of salvation little else is revealed the gospel is preached to the ignorant and unrepentant and the rebellious so they can be freed from their bondage and go forward to the blessing of loving of a loving heavenly father wait and go forward to the blessings blessings a loving heavenly father has in store for them oh i love that that he just has a plan for every stage of our mortal life and our spirit life so that we can continue to live with him. You know, back in the day, I used to think that Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father were like mean, mean dudes. You know, like they're so mean. They have all these commandments and rules and things and I can't do anything fun. And it's just do this and can't do that all the time and the more i grow up and get uh allow pride to or i guess put pride to the side um then i am able to see that heavenly father and jesus christ actually do love me and aren't big meanies who are trying to make me do things i don't want to do or who are keeping me from having fun or whatever because I am able to enjoy blessings and I'm able to um, enjoy happiness and joy and experience these things um, and not feel like everything is, is just so locked up and not something that I can... Oh, sorry, may I scratch you? And not something that is super mean from them. So they're not trying to restrict us. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, they're not trying to restrict us from having fun or having joy. They want us to have the fullness. And that's why there's a plan at every stage of life and every stage of death. <laughs> and it's just beautiful. I love it so much. Um, and I believe, like, our... 
religion is so unique that way um, because a lot of other faiths believe different things and they're I mean to me they're not as beautiful as this but that's okay because I I love other Christians I love people that don't believe in Jesus Christ you know everybody and it's our job to go and send that message and be the messengers and send the message of Jesus Christ and and his gospel and all the blessings that come with that and it's hard as parents trying to teach kids like we're not trying to restrict you we're trying to love you and we're trying to give you these these boundaries and these things that will keep you safe and but you know that's they they don't see it as freedom right now they see it as being restrictive and so i'm hoping that soon they'll understand that they that those things are um things that were freedom and freeing them instead of constraining them okay i gotta move upstairs okay we're gonna read 53 now that flora has some food mm-hmm. so good oh, Flores. prophet joseph smith and my father hiram smith brigham young john taylor wilford woodruff and other choice spirits who were reserved to come forth in the fullness of times to take part in laying the foundations of the great latter-day work oh that's so cool including the building of the temples and the performance of ordinances therein for the redemption of the dead were also in the spirit world. I observed that they were also among the noble and great ones who were chosen in the beginning to be rulers in the church of God. Okay, there's a little commentary there too. Don't worry, we're almost done. Okay, President Smith then sees almost 2,000 years later and witnesses all those people um, that he just saw and notice the work President Smith specifically mentioned in verse 54, the work of building temples and temple work. And that is a major part of these last days. And so there's a quote from Sister Elaine S. Dalton, one of my favorite sisters, Young Women's General President when I was a Young Women's President. Um, and actually she's the one who was instrumental in, and I think proposed, I'm pretty sure anyway. Yes. Um, cause I went to a, a talk that she gave and she said this, that she had presented the idea of individual temple recommends for the youth instead of the group temple recommends for the youth that they used to have when I was going to temple back in the day. And that it was approved and they moved forward with it. And now, like, because of her, Finn has his own temple recommend that he can carry and be responsible for and use and cherish, you know, um, because he can have his own and he doesn't have to go in a group. Like, that's the only time we used to be able to go was in a group because we had the... Atlanta, Georgia temple was the closest temple to us when I was 14. And then came the Orlando temple, which was not that close still, which was still about four to five hours away. And so we still only had the group temple recommends. But anyway, that's why I my dream car has been a van because the first time I ever experienced van riding and having road trips in a van, 
that was 12 passenger van was when I was going to the temple with youth group and it was so much fun and I loved it so much that I had always wanted that same experience um when I got when I got older like that would be like so cool to have and anyway we just bought or Clark just bought a 12 passenger van for me last year during the COVID sections oh boy hold on there we go. Oh, she almost choked. Hey, yeah, you can't have that big a piece, May. I'm sorry. They're so big, Miss. Um. Anyway, during the COVID time, we got the van and amazing, and we got it at such a good deal and everything. Um, and now cars are so pricey and I think it's the chip sort shortage and stuff. But anyway, we got it just in time. And of course, am I able to take a bunch of young women to the temple during my calling as young women? Nope. Because, or young woman leader, because now we have to make reservations and it's so hard to make reservations for baptisms, even super far in advance for a lot of people. And so the only reservation that I was able to make with a big group was for Finn's birthday. And so I didn't want to bring... Uh, a ton of young women at that time because that was for Finn's birthday. We did get to go again in October for Halloween, um, managed to get an appointment for more than just a couple couple of us, and we were able to bring the strong family's kids, so Dylan and Allie, and that was super fun. So also remind us to always do temple trips on Halloween because that's like the Day of the Dead kind of thing, you know, and like perfect time to do... Uh, temple work for spirits who are in the spirit world. So totally awesome. Okay. Anyways, I look forward to using our van for many more temple trips when that becomes more available to us. Um, but for now, we've been able to take, I mean, I've taken some young women home and taken a trip to a young women's girls camp. So that was fun. Or I guess I should say a high adventure camp. Um, and then we have this quote that I was originally going to read from Sister Dalton that I love so much. Okay. In the vision of the redemption of the dead given to, Pro to President Joseph F. Smith, he saw many of the noble and great prophets who had been on the earth prior to the Savior's, Savior's coming. He also saw the prophet Joseph Smith, Hiram Smith, his father, and other choice spirits who were reserved to come forth in the fullness of times to take part in the laying of the foundations of the great Latter-day work. Who were, those, who were those other choice spirits? Our generation was somewhere there among those noble and great leaders prepared in the world of spirits to be on the earth at this time. The scriptures tell us that even before they were born, they with many of their many others received their first lessons in the world of spirits and were prepared to come forth in the due time of the Lord to labor in his vineyard for the salvation of the souls of men. The labor we are prepared and the labor we were prepared and reserved to perform includes the building of the temples and the performance of ordinances therein for the redemption of the dead. Brigham Young foresaw the time in which we are now living. He said, "To accomplish this work, there will have to be not only one temple, but thousands of them, and thousands and tens of thousands of men and women who will go into these those temples and officiate for people who have lived as far back as the Lord shall reveal." Wow, amazing! She's amazing. Okay, so we're in the last stretch here. Um. 
So I'm pretty sure we read 55, right? Yes, we read 55. So 56, even before they were born, they, with many others, received their first lessons in the world of spirits and were prepared to come forth in the due time of the Lord to labor in his vineyard for the salvation of the souls of men. I beheld that the faithful elders of this dispensation, when they depart from mortal life, continue their labors in the preaching of the gospel of repentance and redemption through the sacrifice of the only begotten Son of God among those who are in darkness and under the bondage of sin in that in the great world of spirits of the dead. Okay, what's funny is, you know how sometimes we share experiences now and we're like, oh yeah, when I was this or when I was that, like I experienced this. And I wonder if when we pass through this mortal life into the spirit world and then, you know, later become resurrected, if we're going to be like, well, when I was on, when I was only a human, (laughs) I don't know. Or how are we going to refer to this life versus like later life? Like early in my life or when I lived on earth, but see, it's the same because I mean, spirit world is here. So, so it's like when I was just living in my human body, when I was, before I was resurrected, blah, 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 I had this experience, you know, like I wonder, like it just kind of occurred to me, like if we're going to share our testimonies, well, the way I share my testimony is through experiences and stories. And so that have happened to me. And so if I'm going to share stories and things, how am I going to refer to myself in this form, you know? So anyway, that just kind of stood out to me. Like that would be kind of cool to figure out like what I would say. Um, and then 57, I beheld that the faithful elders of this dispensation, when they depart from mortal life, continue their labors in the preaching. Oh, I already just said that. Didn't I? Yes. Did I? Um, We'll just keep reading. Continue their labors in the preaching of the gospel of repentance and redemption through the sacrifice of the only begotten Son of God among those who are in darkness and under the bondage of sin in the great world of the spirits of the dead. The dead, number 58, the dead who repent will be redeemed through obedience to the ordinances of the God, uh, through the ordinances of the house of God. And after they have paid the penalty of their transgression, transgressions and are washed clean shall receive reward according to their works for they are heirs of salvation and 60 last verse thus was the vision of the redemption of the dead revealed to me and i bear record and i know that this record is true through the blessing of our lord and savior jesus christ even so amen okay a couple quotes here um that i want to read before i conclude because it is kind of a long kind of a long one but it was such a good vision you know such a good vision so let's see okay so speaking to BYU students Sherry Dew taught you were recommended to help run the last leg of the relay that began with Adam and Eve because your premortal spiritual valor indicated you would have the courage and the determination to face the world at its worst to do combat with the evil one during his heyday and in spite of it all, to be fearless in building the kingdom of God. You simply must understand this because you were born to lead by virtue of one, of who you are, the covenants you have made, and the fact that you are here now in the 11th hour. 
You were born to lead as mothers and fathers because nowhere is righteous leadership more crucial than in the family. You were born to lead as priesthood and auxiliary leaders, as heads of communities, companies, and even nations. You were born to lead as men and women willing to stand as witnesses of God at all times and in all things and in all places. Because that was a true leader, because that's what a true leader does. You were born to lead in the words of Isaiah. You were born for glory. Now, the glorious but sobering truth is that in spite of your eons of premortal preparation, the days ahead will at times wrench your very heartstrings, as the prophet Joseph told the twelve. If you've hoped to passively comfortably live out your lives, let me burst that little bubble once and for all. Now... Please do not misunderstand me. This is a magnificent time to live. It is a time, said Spencer W. Kimball, or said President Spencer W. Kimball, when our influence can be tenfold what it might be in more tranquil times. The strongest runner wants to run the last leg of the relay. <sighs> Sherry Dew, BYU Speeches, you were born to lead, you were born for glory. December 2003, and I say that, to make sure that you go look it up because psh, I'm going to go look it up right now because that talk sounds amazing. And um, regarding the first lessons in the world of spirits, which prepared the Lord's servants to come to earth, Elder Bruce R. McConkie taught one reason that students of the gospel hunger and thirst after gospel knowledge is in the words of Elder McConkie, that schooling is nothing new to us here. We went to school in, pre in pre-existence. Or I would, or I think Uncle Jonathan would say pre-mortal life. <laughs> there were occasions when, and I continue with the quote, there were occasions when Adam taught the classes and when Abraham taught the classes and when Joseph Smith did. And the classes were so numerous and so extensive that the whole house of Israel, that group of spirits who were foreordained to become Israelites, were teachers and they taught classes. And the witnesses of truth was born... And the witness of truth was born and we were given the opportunity to advance and progress. When the time came for us to come down to mortality, we ended a course of instruction that had been going on for an infinitely long period of time and commenced a new course of instruction, a mortal course. Ooh, so maybe that's what I'll call it. I'll be like, well, before when I was in my, during my mortal course, I experienced this, you know, so maybe that's going to be how we say it. Um, and that is Elder Bruce R. McConkie, Sermons and Writings of Bruce R. McConkie, edited by Mark L. McConkie, pages 340 to 341. Okay, well, the next quote is from President Packer, so I can't over, I can't skip it. So here we go. Last quote. A few days ago, I had my last visit with our beloved brother McConkie. He was resting on the bed, dressed alert and patient. We expressed our deep love for one another and said our goodbyes. As we said our goodbyes, I inquired whether I could do anything else for him. He asked for a blessing. We did learn much from that final blessing we gave Brother McConkie. In it, I quoted from verses in section 138 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Following the blessing, Brother McConkie wept and said, It is now all in the hands of the Lord. He affirmed his willingness to do as the Lord should wish. After we left his home that day for the first time, he took off his clothes and went to bed. 
Last Thursday, as the brethren met in the temple, the message comes from him and from his um, Amelia that he was ready to he was ready now to go. Would we ask the Lord at the altar that was done the following day at Amelia's invitation? His family knelt around the bed for a final family prayer. His son Joseph was voice. His son Joseph was voice. At last, they were willing to let him go, and at the very at and at the very moment they asked the Lord, his passing came. It was a tender and sweet experience for the family. Where is Bruce McConkie now? He is with the Lord. When the refining process is complete, I know something of how he will appear. He will be glorious. What will you? What will he do? Whatever the Lord wills him to do, I believe he shall be as the revelation describes them, a chosen messenger, clothed with power and authority to go forth and carry the light of the gospel to them that were in darkness. So good. Okay, well that is it for this week's. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants, come follow me reading. And that is the end of the Doctrine and Covenants. And tomorrow, or I guess this week, we'll be reading the Official Declaration 1 and Official Declaration 2 and the Articles of Faith. Um, And what's amazing, okay, is that Finn gets to um, teach a lesson about the Articles of Faith this coming Sunday. So we've got to help him do that. Um, Okay. Thanks for showing up. I love you so much and we will see you soon. Bye.